Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. We're taking a break from the book of Luke. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2 today, verses 11 through 17. Christian resistance. Join us. Abounding Grace is next. When it comes to trials and struggles in this life, persecution, it's real easy to cave. Well, some of us can last a bit longer than others, but at the end of the day, it is a challenge to maintain the faith, as it were, to offer Christian resistance. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Today, we take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2 as we focus on Christian resistance, uh, the Spirit of God filling us and giving us the strength to stand strong in spite of it all, and for good reason, as we'll see. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. I'm taking a repose from our study of Luke, and I do this for two reasons. I believe those of you who are still here from WCWC need to have a clear biblical view of what Christian resistance looks like and why it is important especially during times of state usurpation as we live in now. We live in an historical era, and how Christians respond to the tyranny of our civil rulers will determine the destiny of America. Will we live according to our sovereign Lord, Jesus Christ, or will we bow before the state? My second reason is, even those of us who understand the theology of Christian religion, Christian resistance, need to grasp the oppressiveness of America's current regime and be motivated to oppose it for Christ's sake or suffer the consequences of our lethargy. Next Sunday... We celebrate the victory of our brave forefathers who through bloody warfare fought off the usurpation of the English parliament. Civil rulers who set themselves up as God walking on earth, determining the destiny of their mere subjects. It is my prayer that our opposition to tyranny will be won by the preaching and teaching of the untruncated word of God and not by bloodshed as we are faithful to live Christ-like lives through the power of His Spirit, and as we show the world the love of Christ and preach His redemptive word, He will be faithful to His promises, and America may be won without a shot. America's future lies in the hands of God's elect, you and I. Gary North said in his symposium, The Theology of Christian Resistance, 
Christians have the duty to declare. The duty to declare Christ's headship in the American political arena. And they may not rest until his divine rights and absolute authority are recognized and submitted to in the executive, legislative, and judicial branches of the civil government at the national, state, and local levels. For a Christian to seek anything less is to act as if Christ is something less than what he in fact is, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Douglas Kelly, a professor of systematic theology at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi, says this about the Covenanters of Scotland in the late 1600s. Quote, When one looks at the persecution that the Covenanters from time to time endured, including prison, torture, and death, the question arises as to why people would go to such extremes over theories of church and state polity. For these people, the question of church polity was directly and inextricably related what they deemed to be a life and death question involving eternal issues, the crown rights of Jesus Christ over his church and the state. And Dean Doyle has explained in Reformation and Revolution, for them, the Covenanters, any acknowledgement of royal or civil authority in things spiritual and ecclesiastical was part of a vicious endeavor to dethrone Christ the King. So rather than that, they accepted exile and imprisonment a stake by the soulway, a scaffold in the grass market. And from what we know of the character and the intentions of the last steward kings, can we say that their scruples were without reason? This was an excerpt from Mr. Kelly's book, The Emergence of Liberty in the Modern World, and I would recommend it to all of you to read. Now, how do the teachings of Pastor Gary North and the lives of the Covenanters of Scotland conform to verses 13 and 14 of what was read earlier? That tell us to submit to every ordinance of man, to all rulers that God has sent to rule over us. And how does it fit with the teachings of Paul in verses 11 and 12, where he tells us that we are to live noble, dignified, good, Christ-like lives before the pagan world in order for them to come to glorify God. Well, these are questions that we will attempt to answer today. But let us begin by looking at that word ordinance, or as used in the New American Standard Version of the Bible, institution. This word appears in the New Testament 19 times. In Greek, it is spelled K-T-I-S-I-S, katissis. And when this word is usually used in the New Testament, it is translated creation and refers either to the creation of the world by God or the recreation or new birth of man through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. But in our verse today, institution refers to a creation belonging to the human realm. 
we are talking about the basic institution of civil government, fundamental human relationships that were established by God to protect and enhance human life. Now, what are those basic human institutions, those creations belonging to the human sphere which God himself has ordained? Well, we know that God has ordained them from such passages as Romans 13.1 and here in 1 Peter 2.13 and 14 when he says, Submit to all human institutions, kings and governors, etc., sent by him. And I believe that him should be capitalized because it definitely refers to our almighty God who is a sovereign God and who sent us these lesser powers to protect and preserve and enhance human life. So what are the basic human institutions God has sent for our good? First Peter tells us that we have three. We have the civil government, the family government, and church government. And when these three basic institutions are performing their duties as God has ordained, they will provide healthy, prosperous, safe, strong, free, just, godly culture, economy, and society. But when any of these basic institutions are not fulfilling their biblical mandates, that culture that society in which they exist will crumble and collapse, as can be observed throughout history. You cannot have liberty and justice and prosperity and safety and godliness in a culture unless you have these three basic institutions operating and functioning according to the Word of God, the family, the church, and the state. When you study the various cultures of the world to find out why there is famine after famine and economic failure and rampant slavery, you will find in every incidence it is because these three institutions are either not taken seriously or and are not functioning according to God's established law word. Why is the economic future of America so bleak? Why is it we see homosexuals demanding more rights, or so-called rights, such as marriage, and at the same time, we are experiencing an increase in AIDS and various other venereal diseases? Why is our education system in such dismal shape? Because these three basic biblical institutions are not maintained according to the divine decrees of our sovereign God. Not in all of the United States of America, not in any of the individual states, nor the church, nor the family at large. Our text, verses 13 through 17, focus on the state or the civil government. Notice in verse 13, after making a broad statement that Christians are to submit themselves to all divinely ordained human institutions, Peter then focuses on the civil government and our responsibility toward that government. And I think it is significant that out of all the institutions that could have been mentioned first, right after describing the kind of life Christians are supposed to live, Peter brings to the forefront our relationship to the civil government. It is very obvious to me, beloved, 
that God expects us to be involved in the political arena. Look at verse 13 again. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do right. Now we're going to look at some of these words very carefully. Because they are so vitally important and there is all kinds of confusion, both from the left and right of the political religious spectrum, as to what our responsibilities towards civil government should be, And what the responsibility of civil government as a whole is. And it is my prayer today that this message from God's word will be clear enough that it will dispel any kind of false concepts that any of us in this room may hold. Considering what our responsibility to the state might include and what the state's responsibility should be toward all of its citizens. Christians through the centuries, have fallen into two fundamental errors in regards to the state. The first is the claim that the civil government represents the God of this world and then therefore is just totally illegitimate. They say Christians are not to have anything to do with it at all. The second error holds that the state is divinely ordained in all respects, and that Christians owe it absolute obedience. But as we shall see, Romans 13 and our passage today both refute these errors. The state is a legitimate institution, ordained in principle by God and intended to act as his servant to promote justice in the civil and the social realm. But its legitimacy is conditioned on its promotion of justice if the state becomes totally hostile to the ends for which God has ordained it, then it becomes, it becomes lawless in itself. So we'll talk about such things as the nature of our submission, the motive for our submission to the state, the limits of our submission to the state, or how far are we to go in our submission, and the ultimate aim and objective of our being good citizens and submitting ourselves to the people in power. First, the nature of our submission. The word submission is an aorist imperative. That is, it is written in Greek in such a way to denote an emphasis or a decision that has been made. It is not saying continually obey and submit to the state, although there are other passages we can certainly point to in Scripture for that idea. The point being made here, though, is to make a decision once and for all that you are going to live in submission to political institutions. Make a firm, lasting, substantial decision that from here on out, throughout the rest of your life, you are going to obey and submit to the lawful powers that be. Now, don't lose me here. If you cannot do that, the rest of the church must see you as a revolutionary and an anarchist, and should not even refer to you as a Christian. The word submit is a compound word. 
that denotes subordination to a superior power. It is saying, subordinate yourself to a power whose superior over, superiority over you, you recognize. Which is here the civil government. The word should be translated, be subjected to or put yourself into an attitude of submission to authorities ordained of God. Now listen, the point here is scripture is not demanding some kind of forced submission from you. All right, everybody be slaves to the state and do whatever the state demands you to do. No, the word here denotes a voluntary acceptance of a position of obedience to a superior authority instituted by God himself. We're not talking about forced servitude to a tyrannical master. We are talking about a firm, solid, decisive decision on our part to place ourselves under the authority of the political institutions that God himself has ordained for the enhancement of human life. And we are to accept that position of submission gladly and voluntarily as unto the Lord. My question to you is, can you do that? Because that's what that little word submit means. Everything that I've said over the past few minutes is wrapped up in the structure and the meaning of that little word submit. Now you're out there probably saying that's asking an awful lot. And you're right. That's why there is only one motive big enough to make Christians willing to submit like this. Now, is that motive so the civil authorities won't harass us? Well, that is certainly a biblically-based secondary motive. Is it so everything around us will be peaceful and orderly? Well, that's another secondary reason. But what is the primary motive that stimulates a Christian to give that kind of wholehearted submission to state authorities? Verse 13 has the answer. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. That is to be our motive. We don't do it because the Republicans control Congress and we're Republicans. We don't do it because our candidate controls the White House and we want to show him our support. We don't do it because the Supreme Court is packed with anti-abortionists. Wouldn't that be wonderful? The motive a Christian is to have for submitting to the political powers that be is for the Lord's sake alone. Submission to the state for a Christian, as well as all other Christian obedience, is motivated by his personal loyalty to Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Above all else, above patriotism, above nationalism, above the desire for peace. Lord Jesus, I want to be loyal to you. Whatever it takes to please you, whatever you call me to do, whatever mandates you place upon my life, that is I, what I want for my life. Because I love you. And I'm grateful to you for laying down your life for me and for rising from the dead for me and for sending your Holy Spirit to me and for ruling all the world as King of kings and Lord of lords for me. I will submit myself as that is what you want of me, even though I can't stand 
a lot of the scoundrels that you have placed over me. I will submit voluntarily to all civil institutions which you yourself have established upon the earth for the protection and the enhancement of human life. For your sake, Lord, not for the sake of the authorities. Submit, for the Lord's sake, to all human institutions. Now, having said all this, you need to perk up your ears and listen very carefully. For the Christian, the state is not his highest authority. It is not his highest allegiance. It is not his highest loyalty. Whenever the state demands that which is in conflict with the laws of Christ, the true Christian must and will disobey the state for the Lord's sake. And he will then suffer the consequences. We have levels of allegiance in our lives. And the highest of all is the Lord Jesus Christ. When church and state or anyone demands of us something in which is obedience to it requires disobedience to Christ, Christ must be obeyed and man must be disobeyed. When Jesus requires you to do something, but the state requires something else and you obey the state, thus becoming a supposed good, loyal American citizen, you have sinned against the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you two very good examples, both of them found in the book of Daniel. Daniel was indeed a man of God, raised up to be a powerful individual in the pagan culture of Babylon. Every day without fail, it was Daniel's custom to pray to the Lord. He didn't hide it, but he never made a big show of it either. He had established set times to pray, and he stuck to his schedule. Well, then some of the enemies of God and his law were decided they would try and trick Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, into charging Daniel, whom he loved, with lawlessness and disobedience. So they talked the king into passing a law that said there was to be no public prayer in the entire kingdom. Beloved, do you know how Daniel reacted to this new ordinance? He kept on seeking the Lord in prayer. And he had consistent, as he had done consistently before. Certainly, it was against the law. The law was legal by by Babylonian standards. But what did Daniel do when the laws of the state came into conflict with God's? He shattered the laws of the state to hell. He did it quietly, humbly, without pomp and circumstance. But he biblically disregarded the laws of the state. Then there were three young men, probably in their teens, named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who literally did everything they could to survive in this pagan environment of Babylon. But there was a law passed that said everyone was to be together in this open field, all the citizens of Babylon, by the thousands. And when a particular signal was given, everyone was to bow, whether their hearts were bent to do so or not. It was to be done in recognition of the head of state, Nebuchadnezzar, and his divine authority represented in the statue 
that was erected before them. The people were told that if they didn't bow to this idol, they would be thrown into a fiery furnace. The signal was given, and everyone bowed except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They stood there, straight and tall, and broke the laws of the state. Because they knew, you may not bow before any god except Jehovah. And of course, as the story goes, in this particular situation, God saved them from that fiery furnace for their faithfulness. So when this passage of Scripture says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, it is also telling us something about the limits of our submission to civil authorities. You just don't simply lie down and do whatever the civil government on any level tells you to do. There are levels of allegiance. And yes, you must pledge allegiance to the civil government in which you live. You must take church membership vows seriously. And you must keep your promises to the marriage vows. But the highest of all of our allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402-1484, Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Amen.